0: Hey listeners, welcome to another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. We are actually on vacation this week, but we wanted to dig back into the archives to bring you another amazing episode. With us this week is Amy Radin. She originally appeared on episode 124. Amy is an amazing fintech guru, author of the Changemakers Playbook, and an upcoming speaker at the I.O. Summit. Hope you enjoy this episode. So let's get started. Welcome to another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. I'm your host, Brian Ardinger. And as usual, we have another amazing guest, Amy Raiden. Amy is the author of a new book called The Changemakers Playbook: How to Seek, Seed, and Scale Innovation at Any Company. Amy, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Brian. Great to be here.
0: I am so excited to have you here because I've taken a look at your book and it seems to be hitting on a lot of topics that I've been hearing about and our guests have been talking about for quite some time. So Maybe to set the stage, you've been an executive in American Express and Citi and E-Trade, and you've been in this big corporate spaces for a long time, and I bet you have a lot of stories to tell. So why don't we set the stage by telling uh, our audience what got you in to tackle this topic of corporate innovation?
1: It's interesting. I started my career just getting direct mail out the door at American Express long before anybody had a thought about the commercial viability of the internet and kind of got the digital bug. Then about 2000 when I started getting all these calls from, you know, the first dot-com wave yep. of people looking for somebody with my background. And interestingly, I guess one of my better career insights, I connected the dots between my background, which had been in working with technologists and large data sets to deliver personalized segmented offers to different groups of people to both, you know, meet customer needs and, and grow the business. And I said to myself, wow, that sounds like it could be really useful for this digital thing. And I moved to City, where, you know, it was a function of a little bit luck and timing, but also I connected those dots. I led the digital transformation of City's credit card business, which was at the time about $5 billion bottom line. So really, really significant business. And it was great. At that point, it was a wide open space and there really was very little understanding of what does this really mean for the business? Is it going to go away? Was a question some people mm-hmm. were asking in those days. And is it a sinkhole, or is this something that's really going to impact our business performance favorably? So over the course of a few years, led that transformation, which was really all about how do you create a huge amount of innovation inside of not just a large organization, but one with an incredibly proud heritage in its past, and one that is highly regulated. Kind of cut my teeth there on what does it really mean to drive innovation as, as an operator on the ground. You can imagine those are tough roles and can be a little backbreaking. <laughs> sure. And after a few other positions, I said, you know, and the financial crisis helped also. That forced to, oh, it forces people like me who were in financial services to really step back and think about <laughs> career and purpose and, and goals. And I started to realize that with the rebound in the economy and the just rapid growth in fintech and insurtech and marketing technology and all things that I knew a bit about and, and really enjoyed, that there could be a better opportunity for me to have a greater impact as an outsider coming to organizations, helping them with their innovation challenges. And so that's what I do now, working both with big companies and also with a number of startups in advisory and board positions, helping them connect the dots between their innovation and growth aspirations, and what does it really take to get it done. So it's a lot of fun.
0: Absolutely. And again, it seems like you've seen a lot what's worked and what's not worked out there. Before we kind of dig into the book in that, what are some of the biggest obstacles or challenges that you've seen in general for corporations trying to move faster and innovate differently?
1: I think biggest thing you know i go back to something i learned in high school physics and i was a pretty lousy science student but i do remember newton's first law so law of inertia and you know which says an object will remain on its current path and won't deviate unless it's kind of banged out of position by something a lot bigger and i i think that is very similar to you know human nature and how big companies operate you know we as much as we don't like to always admit it we we don't like change And that kind of aspect of the human condition placed inside a big company that is completely engineered for continuity and predictability does not like the discontinuity, which any innovation is going to represent, whether it's an incremental innovation or a potential disruptive. So I think it's, it's partly the human condition and partly the environments in which we operate are completely set up to stomp out anything. That doesn't represent what's happened before.
0: You know, we talk a lot about this concept of inside-outside innovation and how much can be done within the core business versus how much do you have to look outside towards startups or outside players or things along those lines. What's your thought on how corporations have been navigating that inside-outside space?
1: I love the notion of inside-outside. I think it's a really great metaphor and signal for how, whether a big company or a a small company, a startup should think about it. So if you think about it, you know, big companies, as you know, have funding, they have scale, they likely have a brand, they have support systems, they have infrastructure, they have budgets. They also have bureaucracy. And they tend not to see the near-term value of innovation investments, which quite often you know, they tend not to pay off on the quarter, right? They can take many quarters or even years. Startups, on the other hand, are hungry, right? They bring speed, burning passion and agility, but worked with a lot of startups, and sometimes they may be furiously and passionately barking up the wrong tree. Uh, (laughs) They don't have the infrastructure, and they often lack an understanding of what it takes to scale. So, you know, I don't think, on the other hand, startups don't have a monopoly on innovation and big established companies don't have monopoly on bureaucracy. So in my mind, the magic is when they can work together. And a lot of what I find myself doing in my work is almost like the translator, helping them talk to each other and see how much more common ground there is and how they can help each other more than might at first be obvious.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So let's dig into the book a little bit. What I liked about the book, you kind of break it up into different stages of how corporations should be approaching innovation and the three stages, seeking, seeding, and scaling. And you hear a lot about kind of that early seeking stages with all the you know, exciting times when you're trying to go out and discover new ideas and brainstorm and, and that kind of stuff. But we don't hear a lot of advice on the next two stages as far as how do you seed those ideas and actually do something with them? And then ultimately, how do you scale that? So talk to me a little bit about how you came to that particular concept and how the book lays out the transition between those stages.
1: Well, it's interesting. When I sat down to write the book, my first instinct was this is going to be my great catharsis. I'm going to write (laughs) about all the things that I saw and believed, and sometimes people listened, and sometimes I just couldn't win them over. And then I said, well, that won't be very interesting. I want to talk to other people. I went out and interviewed about 50 people who have sort of been in the innovation trenches, whether it's corporate innovators or also, I spoke to many founders and investors as well. Mm-hmm. And the framework of my book, the seek, seed, scale notion, really reflects a very consistent thinking from the group. And I think you're right. A lot of times, sorry, they see a trend or they have an idea from their consumer research or whatever, and they said, we're going to go try to do this. And on the other hand, the organization is saying, well, we have financial goals. And what happens to seed is, let's start getting some early manifestation of the concept, whether it's some loose prototype or even mm-hmm. sketches or could be concept statements or wireframes that we can actually put out to potential users to understand if we really are hearing or even understanding it correctly. And then at the same time, let's start to at least project, even if it's a very, very high level in precise terms, how to translate user reaction into drivers of the business model, right? So understanding how people are going to use what it is you're creating will ultimately affect your financials. And while one mistake I see companies make is trying to predict with too much precision early on what the financial potential is of an idea, you can't get a lot of learning mm-hmm. from engaging users with prototypes into what they're going to do. And then say, okay, well, how does this affect how I'm thinking about the business model, the capabilities that I'm going to need, capital investments, what kind of talent? So it forces you to start to connect those dots.
0: It's it's interesting to have that back of the napkin kind of financial analysis, but a lot of times at that early unknown stage to try to measure the success of the business based on those traditional ROI metrics and that it makes it challenging.
1: I tell people all the time when when I work with groups and in my speaking that one of the biggest ways to kill a potentially great innovation is to impose the metrics of a traditional business model on that innovation. If it's an innovation, how do you know? But at the same time, I don't agree with the let's throw stuff against the wall and see what sticks or throw all caution to the wind. I mean, investors and in startups don't tolerate that. They right. expect to see progress on results. So it's no different in the startup world. It's just what you might expect up front. I'll give you an example. In one of my roles, when I was at city, We would sit down with our executive team to talk about, you know, very brand new ideas. We would say, okay, if this is what we're assuming about user behavior, here is what we think the major drivers of revenue and expenses would be. We think they'd be small, medium, or large. Not even so business model without even numbers. And what would you have to believe to get 1% market share? So we would do sort of very loose, high level, what if kind of sanity testing scenarios. And then as we move forward and iterated our prototypes, tried to get to finer and finer positions.
0: Excellent. The other part I liked about the book, you talk about how corporations oftentimes, obviously this idea of customer focus is important, but a lot of times corporations, they have their existing customers, but they don't always necessarily know what those customers need outside of their existing legacy relationship with those corporations. And you talk about how do you really need to understand the customer from the various roles. So the user, the buyer, the payer, the influencer. Talk a little bit about that model of knowing the customer inside and out and all the different players that make up that quote-unquote customer.
1: I think that when we work inside, you know, we all get big companies, I think in particular, but really I've seen it in small companies too. We get a little bit caught up in our own world and our work ecosystem. And I've never heard anyone say they're not customer-centric, you know, (laughs) we they're against the customer, right? But some people interpret that as, that means we have to give people whatever they want. Not true. I think you have to understand people's needs and satisfy them in a way that makes economic sense. And if it doesn't make economic sense, you won't be able to continue to deliver. So then ultimately, you're not satisfying their needs. People who are successful in innovation do a good job at stepping back, stepping aside from their own biases. And understanding and really walking in the customer's shoes. So let's take banking, a business I'm really familiar with. You know, I don't think people, most of us don't get up in the morning aspiring to go have a deep relationship with our bank or with our credit card company. We interact with different companies because they're helping us, and bank is helping us meet some bigger set of life needs, you know, provide for our family, plan for a vacation, pursue a career, finance our home, right? And so, I think we have to step back and think about brand, how do you fit into the context of the customer's life and be willing to understand their needs on their terms, not your needs in terms of your current product set. And I think people who are able to do that are much more successful at innovating. So it comes down to say, what's the problem I'm really trying to solve for the people I want to serve? And if your problem is, you know, I want to give them a credit card or a checking account or Whatever your wish it is, that's ultimately going to have a, a very short, short shelf life as an innovation.
0: Absolutely. So talk a little bit about the changes that you've seen in both financial services and other spaces of how innovation has evolved and what are some of the new trends that you're seeing?
1: I mean, obviously, there's a ton more. You know the financial service sector in particular was you know was kind of at the at the epicenter it was at the ground here of the financial crisis and I think you know for three or four years beyond the you know after the crisis began frankly a lot of the the established financial institutions were did not have their eyes enough on the innovation ball very focused on fireside is getting their compliance or regulatory houses in order you know fixing their balance sheets I think. And in the meantime, you had just a tremendous explosion of activity in the fintech sector and more recently in SureTech. tech. I think the last three or four years, seeing big institutions get back into the game and make tremendous, certainly tremendous investments. So I think a, a lot of capital being thrown in innovation, and you mm-hmm. can certainly point to many one off successes. But what's kind of interesting is at the end of the day, the basic business model for most financial services products has not changed. You know, a bank is still about gathering deposits at one cost and lending the assets at another cost. And so the fundamental business model hasn't really changed. You know, very often innovation sort of the front end in the user experience, you know, the user interface, yep. but not necessarily, you know, not a lot of innovation in the, back end, in the back end product. And the other trend I see that is a little bit uh, kind of sobering is that the financial institutions and I'll put insurance companies in there, too, still asking the same questions about how to solve their innovation challenges and meet their aspirations that people were asking 15 years ago. Right. So good news for someone like me, because a lot of opportunity to help people. But as I try to lay out in the book, this is hard work.
0: Absolutely. However,
1: it is solvable this is not a pipe dream. Innovation is possible, even in the most complex organizations. It's all about execution.
0: So let's talk a little bit on the execution side. Are there particular tools or frameworks or things that you see work better than others out there?
1: One of the aspects of the Seek Seed Scale framework that I advocate for in my book, and that I I always speak about, certainly when we practiced in the roles I was in, is that oftentimes a company will start and this time of year is a big time for it because this is planning season for 2019 executives will sit down and look at their you know financial goals and say well we have to grow so much next year okay let's how can we sort of reverse engineer our product services experience innovation goals and cost structure to hit those goals and i'm all for achieving financial results right you know we already talked about that however You have to set that aside, at least, you know, set aside, get some of that out of your mental space. Mm -hmm. And again, as I said before, really understand as objectively as possible what is going on in the lives of the people you want to serve. What problems are they struggling with? And how can you solve their problems? Then come back from that discovery phase and start to think about okay, how do I translate what I'm hearing into concept prototypes? and move towards understanding the impact on a business model. So I think it's that giving a more dedicated space to discovery and doing that objectively always makes a very, very big difference versus just focusing on reverse engineering to a financial goal.
0: Definitely. Well, Amy, I encourage any innovator out there that's listening to this to pick up a copy of the Changemakers Playbook. If they want to find out a little bit more about you or more about the book, what's the best way to do that?
1: I've got some really great free resources on my website and I'm setting up a special URL for inside outside listeners. Just go to www.amyraden.com forward slash inside outside. And you can find there a free download of content from my book an infographic summarizing the seek seed scale framework. And you can also do a really quick quiz to test your innovation readiness and get some quick ideas on where you personally can focus.
0: That's awesome. Thank you very much for doing that for our listeners. And thank you very much for coming on the show today. I appreciate everything you've done in this space. It's very difficult to navigate sometimes. It's always nice to have people who have been in the trenches helping others make that leap. So thank you, Amy, for being on the show. Looking forward to continued conversations in the future. And thank you again for uh, being a part of Inside Outside Innovation.
1: Thank you, Brian. It's been my pleasure.